0: Welcome to Uncorked, the podcast brought to you by Team Corker to share the stories of remarkable humans. My name is Matt Corker and today I am joined with the ever lovely and impactful Rachel Ricketts, an advocate, healer, and coach. And it's so cool because Currently, I'm in Copenhagen, and Rachel, you're in Sweden. You just moved to Sweden. Hey, hey. (laughs) (laughs) How has the first couple days in Sweden been?
1: It has been such a beautiful uh, reflection to be in a new environment and just, yeah, see yourself immersed um, and mirrored back in a new way. So it's been lovely.
0: And before we, like, jump ahead to Sweden, I, like – let's back up and share with people what do you do and how did you start this beautiful business of yours?
1: Yeah, cool. Um, My life's mission is to heal the collective divide by addressing and eradicating racist patriarchy. So I do that um, specifically by supporting all folks, but particularly women of color through the grief caused by navigating uh, white supremacist patriarchy and um, helping us all manifest more joy and uh, raise collective consciousness because uh, anti-racism and inclusion is the thing that's caused me the most uh, grief, pain, loss in my life. Um, and I think it definitely harms each and every one of us, irrespective of uh, your origin or background. So uh, I want to help folks come together and heal uh, what most needs to be healed.
0: And what, what triggered the, or like what inspired that moment when you were like, this needs to be my life's work now? Because you were a previous lawyer, and mm-hmm. then, then what? <clears throat> yeah.
1: <laughs> um, I, I always say, like, this started from, like, the womb. This work has been in me. I really, truly believe it's my life's purpose. But um, for me, it was getting quiet enough to actually hear the calling. So um, when I was a corporate lawyer, I was had no time for quiet. <laughs> it was like 18-hour days, go, 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 go. I was um, not happy in my life doing that job and really felt like that just like pushing paper and making millionaires millions wasn't my life's purpose. And so um I actually quit that job with no uh job lined up. Like I was just like, I can't do this anymore. I'm completely burnt out. I don't have time, space, or capacity to care for myself, for my partner, for my mother who was um had a chronic illness. She had MS. And, um, and so that led me on the beginning of like a journey back to myself. And then the year after I quit private practice, my mom, uh, who's essentially quadriplegic at that point, decided that she wanted to end her life, that her quality of life was so abhorrent, that like continuing to live and exist in this plane was no longer feasible. And the only um, opportunity for solace for her was to, to end her life and leave her physical self. And so I helped her do that. Um, and the grief Uh, that ensued from that experience, not only of losing and missing my mother, but all of the things that had occurred in my life up until that point that I hadn't had any real time or space to sit with because I'd been in fight or flight. I'd been busy taking care of my mom. I'd been busy lawyering. I'd been busy. I'm a total Virgo, so I'm always taking care of other people before myself. (laughs) So I'd been busy, capital B, period. Um, and then and then she died, and then it was just me and my shit. So, um, I was like immersed with all of this loss and grief. And, um, and my definition of grief is very expansive, so it isn't just the grief we experience, uh, when someone dies, it's the grief we experience from any loss or change that occurs in our life, <clears throat> and so we experience this. Kind of all all the time. We grieve all sorts of things, like I'm going to endure grief over this move. Um, Even things that are joyful, like becoming a parent or getting married or starting a business, like all of those things, in in inherently include loss or change, and so there's some grief involved. And so I hadn't had adequate time or space to really grieve um, losses in my life, despite being someone who has a degree in psychology and who's you know I like to think is pretty um, uh, intuitive and aware, but Uh, operating at the pace that I've been operating at, you know, I, I didn't really have an opportunity to like truly sit in and sink into what had been arising in my life. And so after my mom died, it all hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, And I think that that happens to a lot of folks. And from that point on, I was like, listen, I can't be the only one who's experiencing this kind of loss or pain. Like of course my grief and my experiences are unique to me, but I'm looking around my millennial friends and seeing a lot of people who are in a lot of uh, grief and in their own kinds of pain, whether they know it or not. Sometimes we just call it burnout. You know, to me, that's just another word for grief (laughs) and loss and pain. Um, And so I wanted to uh, create a space for people to come together and voice their their pain and um, feel seen, heard, and supported in their grief because there's so few spaces to do that. And then flash forward till today, um, I still do that, but I do that in very specific uh, ways, which is supporting uh, specifically people of color and predominantly women of color through the grief of navigating racist patriarchy because uh, the most loss and grief I've ever experienced in my life is a result of the intersectionality of being, uh, black and a woman. Uh, and even my mother and her experience of having a chronic illness. Um, I, I personally believe that her dis-ease manifested as a result of all the trauma that she experienced throughout her life, but didn't have the tools or capacity to, uh, move through. And that's not victim blaming. I love my mom, but you know, she was raised in Jamaica in the fifties. Uh, she just didn't know or have the understanding of how to uh deal with these things or nor did she ever feel safe enough to dive into this work and so um this is uh, there's a quote i love like i am my ancestor's wildest dream and that's truly how i feel i'm like here in this moment in this time to uh help heal myself to help heal others and by doing that i'm healing my entire ancestral line and you know my future line um and that's the work i think that uh is needed and required from all of us now to raise the collective consciousness like our healing is the world's healing and our healing we can't heal the collective divide if we haven't healed you know all the crap that's in our own hearts and we certainly can't come to the table and have a real honest integral conversation about what anti-racism looks like and how white supremacy you know rules the world and the ways in which uh we are perpetrating that whether it's intentional or not if we haven't dealt with our own crap so that's what i help people do
0: Frig and I got to experience firsthand or uh, the spiritual activism course 101 that you um host and holy cow, such powerful work. I still think the quote that or the thing that you said that I now quote in my head over and over and over again is if you're white, you're racist. And it's mm-hmm. not if you're racist, it's how you're racist.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And man like still, still sitting with that and still noticing my own biases, my own like unchecked privilege that I get to experience being a white male Mm -hmm. and, um, or a white cisgendered male to to add to that. Mm -hmm. Um, And what, what, what has been the experience of hosting this course in a digital way? Like this, you know, there's oftentimes you're working with people in a workshop or in a setting where you can physically hold the space or you can physically be with people, but you've taken it to a new level now and are leading this work virtually. So what's that been like for you as the facilitator?
1: Great question. Um, I love doing it online. I think um, it adds a layer of of protection and boundary for me as a, as a person of color, as a woman of color leading the work. I love doing it in person too. Don't get me wrong, but it takes extra energetic strength. Um, and, uh, you know, I have to be more clear about what my boundaries are. Um, because anytime you bring white folks and people of color together in one space, and that's what spiritual activism is, it isn't just for white folks it's for everybody. Um, and the the impact of the work really comes from having um, all people together in the room. Um, is really challenging because anytime you have uh, like white supremacy is status quo, and that can be really jarring to people when they hear it. Like I understand that I say it like so off the cuff now, like white supremacy, but that like white supremacy is the air that we all breathe. It isn't people walking around with like capes or tiki torches and polo shirts um <laughs> it's, it is like and we don't talk about whiteness a lot so that's what I address in my workshop as well like what is whiteness it's it's above and beyond being a white person like whiteness is everywhere white supremacy is everywhere um it exists in in rooms like when white people aren't in the room like white supremacy is like the air we breathe it's just that white folks haven't noticed the stench of it because <laughs> they haven't even had to So um, anytime you bring uh, white folks and people of color together in a room, like, the potential for harm is almost 100%. Anytime. So anytime you bring white folks and people of color together in a room to discuss racism, the potential for harm is like 1,000%. Not intentional harm, but harm nonetheless, the microaggressions, the things that are said unknowingly, the unchecked privilege, the white fragility, the enti- exceptionalism and entitlement, all of those things so um, it takes a lot of work. I have to dig really deep into my reserves and take uh, self care to an- to another level in order to facilitate it. Um, but it's still like the most rewarding thing that I can do, and so much easier for me than pretending that these that these systems and structures don't exist and not acknowledging or naming them. That to me is like the most harmful thing. Um, so doing it online uh, is such a privilege because I get to access folks that I wouldn't be able to access otherwise, um, and it's so important to me to create brave space there isn't such a thing as safe space because as I already alluded to like anytime I'm bringing like white folks and people of color together the potential for harm is almost 100% so it's brave space it's white folks you know feeling safe enough to or brave enough to um, to share what their experience is of diving into this work and trying to get it right knowing that they're probably going to fuck it up and come across in a way that they didn't intend to or potentially cause some harm. And then really brave space for people of color to share what their experiences are and or subject themselves to having to exert a whole bunch of emotional labor and or um, to potential harm. So I don't take this work lightly. I take it extremely, extremely um, seriously. And um, the opportunity to do it online really opens up things in a whole new, beautiful way. But I have to say, saying all that, aside from the energetic requirements, like, it, it isn't that different for me. The way that I hold space online, I do my best to really make everyone feel, like, seen, heard, supported, and to create an intimate, uh, sacred space. So um, curating that is, like, one of my favorite things.
0: So cool. Do you find that um, the online conversation has shifted in the last couple of years as it relates to race and racial injustice and (laughs) my head's like
1: swirling yeah yeah it's been really incredible to see the the shift and I have to say like my mom if she was still here would just be blown away I mean she'd be blown away by so many things like Trump and all the things but um but it's it's really and truly we are coming to a time where the collective consciousness is rising and never in my wildest dreams would I think that like white folks would pay me to have them me walk them through how they're white supremacists and what they need to do to commit to anti-racism, like never, never would I ever have thought. Um, and that's such, a, such an amazing thing. And for me as a black woman born and raised um, in a, a predominantly white and extremely wealthy community, um, to see all of these brave, bold people of color online being, um, unapologetically themselves and, and really stating the truth of our experience as people of color has been so inspirational and influential and uplifting and definitely part of my own, um, you know, fulsome awakening and being able to fully step unabashedly into my purpose. Like it's, it's, and to be plugged into a community, uh, in this way has been an absolute life changer. I was at um, an event recently, and uh, I like posted an Insta story, and I was like, it was at a dude ranch. It was like a horse riding dude ranch thing, and um, I was like having a white person weekend or something. Like posted a story, and like had ten women of color slide into my DMs, like if you fall into the sunken place, let us know, like we're here for you. And I was laughing, like oh y'all, like no no no, I know these peeps, like you know it's totally fine, don't worry about it. And then one day later, I'd ha- been in like the most egregious racial attack of my life at this event and so the next day I was like okay you guys were right like (laughs) calling all of you need your support um and that has been such a blessing and so informative like just even that fact that I was like hey I'm at this thing with all white people and then all the people of color are like okay you're gonna need help are you okay are you okay um has been um just such a heart opening experience to know that I have support and to know that uh, my feelings are validated. My experience is validated. Um, Yeah. I've never really had that before in my life being born and raised in a space where I was like the only black person in the room all the time.
0: Mm -hmm. It's so important. Like uh, for me, like I'll speak for myself, but like dear white people who are also (laughs) listening to this um, it's like, The fact that you, A, felt comfortable enough to be in a predominantly white space like you have most of your life, but posting it online and for people to be like, are you going to be okay in this space is like a big, like that shouldn't be taken lightly in my head. Like when people are like, you're going into a dangerous environment you're like, no, it's totally okay. And it's like, as a white person to be like, it's totally okay. And you're making it a big deal. And you're like, no, it's not like, these are not like safe spaces, quote unquote. Yeah. And so how do you take care of your, like you're doing work with trauma and grief and, um, and you know, you're a death doula as well. Like these things, like I don't encounter these, these conversations on a day-to-day basis, let alone hosting and healing people in these spaces. And so what are you doing to take care of yourself? Like this, like, I know when I lead a workshop with angry managers around conflict, issue, like <laughs> this is like, I have to go home and, and take like a big scoop of ice cream and just put my feet up for a little bit. But like,
1: yeah.
0: what is your practice to take care of yourself?
1: I have um, a really deeply spiritual practice. And so um, it's part of why I call the workshop spiritual activism. It's more about me <laughs> than um, the folks who are in attendance. But that also being said, I call it spiritual activism because I think like true spirituality requires activism. So um So my spiritual practice is um, really what grounds me. So I work with crystals and I um, am a certified Reiki practitioner. So I Reiki with myself and I guide myself through breath work and like a hot bath uh, to really literally like cut cords and soak off. Um, Energy has been a huge healing practice for me. And then- my support systems, you know, like my partner and uh, other people of color in my life. um, And, um, and the, you know, white friends in my life as well, who um, I hate the word woke, but sure. The the woke woke white friends (laughs) um, who, who just support me as a human in doing this work is really, really life-changing like that, that community that I've um, created for myself. And that includes the folks that I no longer have in my community (laughs) equally as important. Um, just cultivating and fostering that, but it requires a lot of alone time. Like I digest this work um, in solitude. So um, there's a piece of kind of being like away and in, in Sweden that feels really good because I, I will be getting a lot of a lot more of the solitude that I need and probably haven't been giving to myself enough. Mm-hmm. Also Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> For- Amen. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Greg. Yeah. Um, the And so now, like, fast forward to today, I guess, and you're now in Sweden. And is this like a forever thing or is this a temporary thing? What, what are you feeling like?
1: I don't think Sweden is a forever thing, but I think um, I have wanted to leave my hometown my whole life, but my mom was sick and I'm, you know, a single mom only child. So I stayed to care for her. And so now I'm just like, I can go wherever and do whatever. Um, and I feel strongly that. Um, that there's somewhere else that is, like, my home that feels more grounded and rooting for me. And so I'm city shopping, mm-hmm. as hoity-toity and privileged as that sounds, and it is a privileged position to be in. Um, I'm looking for the place that really serves me and my partner uh, the best. And right now that's Sweden for his school, but, we'll, you know, we're, we're hopping around and seeing what possibilities are in other places. I also think I always feel like, you know, travel will always be such a huge part of my life. Um, that I'm just looking for like a place that feels good to have roots in, but definitely always be out and about getting my face out in the world and experiencing new places and people and cultures and um and experiences. Yeah.
0: And you recently um got engaged. Yes. And is this are are you gonna get married in Sweden or are you gonna get married <laughs> not back in, in Sweden. Canada?
1: <laughs> um we won't get married in Sweden but we'll probably get married in Europe um and uh that whole thing has been a really interesting trip as well like the way that like racist patriarchy and colonialism ties into the structure of marriage <laughs> has been like so weird and interesting so um well,
0: well we'll have to compare notes because when I when Chad and I were planning on getting married we were like wait we don't have a like insubordinate female that is known like as the bride that you right. give away and right as property right. and you sign a legal contract oh. i was like we don't have this so like what yeah. is
1: what a is different that
0: definition? didn't de- n- like a new definition of marriage for us
1: mm-hmm. yeah um, yeah we're also exploring that like how do we want this to really be reflective of us that isn't isn't um, indicative of all of those things. And that's not to like throw shade on people who love that and want that piece of it. Cause it doesn't have to mean that even if you partake in it, but just like the notion of what the actual inherent original system and understanding of marriage was is pretty gross. <laughs>
0: yeah. My like favorite, I put favorite in air quotes. Cause it's like the one that I'm like, Oh my gosh, makes my gut flip was the, I read the origin of the bridesmaids were actually to distract the drunkards at the wedding party so that they the reason why they were also in, like, regal gowns or, like, the ones who were also done up was to anyone who was trying to sleep with the virgin bride would, like...
1: Oh, my stomach. Right? <laughs> right?
0: Oh. Like, this is ridiculous. And then the groomsmen were bodyguards for the bride. That's the... Okay.
1: <laughs> and not even for the bride just for her virginity, virginity. Yeah. right like they didn't yeah. care about her They us cared about oh god that's disgusting okay and so i
0: was like so wedding party <laughs> reevaluate what that means <laughs> <lead> to us <laughs> but we didn't have anyone stand with us we did like obviously loved our friends in a way to honor their like yeah. special role in our lives and yeah. at the same time we we're like we don't need a bodyguard and we don't need distraction from our virginity because my
1: vagina is good on her own she's fine (laughs) oh
0: Oh, man so one of the things that really um is so commendable and actually i'm like in this moment being like you use terms like white like white supremacy and patriarchy and capitalism and and like list it off like it's no big deal and there are probably people (laughs) listening being like I don't know anything you just said. And yeah. so if there were things that you're like, um, A, use Google and like mm-hmm. look these words up, step mm-hmm. one. Please. Where do you go to continue your education like in and your um, progression or development in this? Like I see you as a very large leader in my life oh, that you. educates me. And so I'm always amazed at like, where are my mentors getting their mentorship from? Mm -hmm.
1: Um, Women of color, (laughs) women of color. So yeah, I'm following as many women of color as I possibly can. I'm contributing to their emotional labor. um, In what what does that mean? Yeah. That's like money or that services that I can offer. So um, I do a lot of um, coaching for a lot of women of color leaders um, because they need it, right? Like in, in a, in more than most people, because they're dealing with their own personal stuff and then they're out in the world in a way that, that immediately put, opens them up to so much harm. Um, but, um, so offering my services to them is one of the ways in which I can support. Um, but definitely like money, right. Then they can choose how they use that, that energy, that energetic exchange. But um, yeah, really like other women of color, um, Layla Saad uh, and her me and white supremacy challenge is like a must for white folks um, in my eyes. And she's working on a workbook right now. So I don't think it's out, but like stay tuned and follow her on Instagram. Catrice Jackson um, has phenomenal uh, books and workshops online and in person um, that are, are great resources. And I will be speaking at a conference in Omaha, Nebraska with Leila Saad and Curtis Jackson and, um, a bunch of other phenomenal black women about racial justice for black women and white women for all women. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm following other women of color, indigenous women, like particularly in Canada. Um, we don't even address or honor or have an understanding of um, indigenousness and what, what, we as Canadians as a nation have done to Indigenous people, um, so I take that really seriously, and that is something I'm diving deep into learning and having a better understanding of. Because as a Canadian, I think that that's my duty and responsibility. So following a lot of uh, Indigenous women and learning about their experiences uh, as well.
0: Well, we'll include some of those links uh, in the below so that people can you know follow you, but also follow along in in their journey as well. Cool. All right. Frig, Rachel Ricketts, I could talk to you for hours and (laughs) we're going to (laughs) wrap. Um, we always end this podcast with one question and it's what's making your heartbeat faster.
1: Um, what's making my heartbeat faster right now is when I step outside and I see so many different, um, folks from different cultures and I'm hearing different languages and eating different foods and hearing different music and seeing different colors, like just the the diversity that um, exists when I exit my front door these days uh, really, really lights me up.
0: I love that. And, you know, being here in Copenhagen, what's making my heartbeat faster is the ability to practice yoga and I really take it as a gift being passed down and um, it's just really great to be with friends and be able to come together and move our body and give thanks to the people that came before us and taught us this. So man, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for everything. Um, We'll chat soon.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much.